I invite you this morning to turn to Matthew, the fourth chapter. We'll look at the first 11 verses together this morning. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I would assume that the text in front of us today is fairly familiar to most of us. And as such, my introduction will be primarily to back up into chapter 3 to help us understand what's coming to us in chapter 4. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the third chapter, we see the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist was hesitant when Jesus came to him to be baptized, thinking that Jesus should baptize him, but Jesus tells him that his baptism, him following in the waters of baptism, is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. We then see towards the end of the third chapter, Jesus, at the outset of his public ministry, fulfilling the mission given to him by God, and that was his primary focus. I've got a mission to do And so here at the end of that baptism, there is a display of the triune God where the spirit descends like a dove and the father declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what follows after that is not the way I would have written the story. Perhaps that's because I'm not a good writer or don't understand how to write a story. But as I approach it with the mindset that I have, I think this way. Jesus, perfect man, hasn't done anything wrong, has followed and humbled himself and followed in the waters of baptism. He has checked the bucket list off and something good should follow. Something, a blessing, a neat thing, a trajectory that kind of goes upward and positive and good and all that. Chapter 4 comes to us and it directs our attention somewhere else. I wouldn't think that this would be what would happen. We would think that something good should happen. But it is true, and we do see throughout the pages of Scripture, that often during a, after a time of great spiritual blessing, or could you say some form of exaltation, there comes a season of challenge, a difficult thing to work through, a test And this is exactly what happens here. And the goal today would be for God's people to be encouraged primarily by the example of Jesus in the midst of a difficult test. As he resisted the devil by God's word, we too can endure the tempter's call, the tests, the temptations that come our way, and see him flee away. So I'm primarily going to look at two things today. The first two verses are the situation or the setting And then we'll look at the test or the temptation in the second half. And really the first division here is just going to be a bunch of kind of bulleted points to kind of set what's happening as we consider three major temptations that come to us in the following verses. But if we read with me that first and second verse together, it says this, that Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. 
And there's our setting, just like that. And the first thing I'd like just to bring to our attention, notice with me that Christ's temptation in the wilderness is led, it's directed, it's planned by God himself. Ultimately, nothing occurs in this situation, and for our teaching and admonition, nothing happens in God's world without his awareness and his ultimate ability to take whatever happens and do something good with it. This is why he is God. Notice also the obedience and submission of Christ on display to follow the Spirit, if I could say that, to be led up and go along with that. Notice as it references that he's taken into a wilderness area, and if we don't know a whole lot about what's going on, we think that's fairly arbitrary. But as we look at the testimony of Scripture together, I think we can consider several things. First of all, the story begins with Adam in the garden in Genesis chapter 1. And by the time chapter 3 comes around, Adam and Eve have not followed God's plan. They're placed in a perfect garden and they fail to follow God. Later in the Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel is placed in a wilderness to be tested and they fail to obey God. Now Jesus comes and he's directed into temptation by the Spirit of God into a wilderness area And do you think maybe some people that were familiar with Israel's history or were Israelites would remember something about their history here? Jesus now goes into this area, the wilderness, and what does he do for our blessing and for the good of everyone? He obeys God completely. So the wilderness is not arbitrary. It is testifying where others have failed, Christ comes through. Notice also regarding the temptation Here is Satan's attempt to derail God's plan of redemption. So he's looking at it and saying, what can I do to wreck God's plan? This also helps us understand that God is sovereign over all things, even Satan's attempts. We see that what Satan would mean for evil and to destroy, God ultimately can overrule and bring something good out of there's no clear evidence in our text that the temptation was limited to the three events we, look, we will look at in a few minutes. It's implied that Jesus was enduring temptation during the entire time in the wilderness. Perhaps what is recorded for us is just the culmination or a distillation of what, where these temptations basically lie. As we continue getting some background here, look with me also that as he fasted, he was hungry. Christ was fasting because he was aware of what he was up against. Some of us have begun to fast. I told uh, Matt on the way in this morning, in order not to be a distraction to God's people, I broke a little bit of a fast and ate so I didn't bonk up here. We'll see if it happens. Okay? But in this case, if Christ was fasting because he knew what he was up against. Being fully God did not exempt him from facing temptations as an entire or a complete or a full man. Even today, from a medical or human standpoint, a 40-day fast, I doubt, is ever recommended and really is at the extreme of what a body can endure without food. But this ties in, this 40 days fast as well, with the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness Where in Deuteronomy it says, And you will remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, 
whether you would keep his commandments or not. So there's an unmistakable ties to the, to the, the nation of Israel and to the history of Israel so that they would get the purpose of what Jesus had come to do. Further, as we think a little bit about fasting and hunger, fasting was and is an expression of our desire for God as well as our recognition that the solution to our present situation, our present challenges, in this case, the season of temptation that Christ was about to come into, must come from a source outside ourselves. We are brought into situations in life where we cannot get through it unless God intervenes. And as challenging as those times are, those are the places Christ leads his people the place of the impossible, the place where only he can help you through. And fasting often has been used as a time where somebody says, I need you, I can't do it without you. And further, Jesus' fast here highlights that he was willing to move to the weakest physical position while facing temptation to teach us that spiritual temptation cannot be solved only with physical means. If we are going to move forward in the Christian life, if I can say, we can't just buck up Skippy and do it. We can't just plow through. We need the Lord. And so he moves his body away from the strength that could be taken from food to say that what I'm up against is Satan would call me away from the master's plan, God's plan for him. I need God to help me through this time of testing. So that's a little bit of background, and so let's take the remainder of our time this morning to look at these tests or the temptation. And so follow along with me now in verse 3 and 4. The tempter comes to Jesus and says to him, Now, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan comes to Jesus and calls attention to the deity of Jesus since he's attempting to him to use his divine power to provide for his physical needs. It is apparent that he is really testing him on the grounds of whether he would be faithful to his father. Use the power, Jesus, that you possess for your advantage. Why should we be hungry now? Take matters into your own hands. And so the first temptation that comes to Christ is one where he is tempted to prioritize physical desires or maybe even needs over spiritual desires or needs. And this is what's going on. Solve your problems with human means. Misunderstood, we could walk away from here and say we have to somehow let go and let God, and that's not what it's teaching. But what it is saying is, In the realm of the spiritual life and development, we cannot manage on our own. We don't do well in God's world taking matters into our own hands in defiance or inattention to his own words. Question, how well do we do paying attention to and cultivating our spiritual life? Perhaps we could ask this question, how much time and attention do we take spending time and caring for our physical life. Yes, we need to do that. But what is going on in the inner man? 
Here, Jesus is responding to this temptation with God's word. He says we are to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. That's kind of a high bar, isn't it? We can't take that today and say, oh no, I heard a sermon, I've got to memorize the Bible by tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But it ought to direct the intensity in, in, in our heart to say, if God said it, I want to know about it so I can follow him. We're to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. God understands that we have physical needs and he does provide for us. Jesus quotes the Old Testament, taking us back to Deuteronomy, where the story of God's provision is being reviewed. And so in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, he says, And he humbled you and let you, your, your hunger, uh, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Israel failed to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Here's their testimony in the wilderness. They said things like, we're thirsty. We're hungry. We miss the leeks and garlics of Egypt. Why do we always have to have this manna stuff? And where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus was faithful in this wilderness temptation. He was committed to spiritual realities more than the physical because the temptation comes to him to prioritize physical over spiritual. And the response is that you and I need to prioritize spiritual over the physical. What Satan is doing here is calling God's faithfulness, God's provision into question. And unfortunately, I can't stand before you today and say, I've never done that because I have. And this is not good. We call it sin, right? Satan would go, Jesus, you're, you're really hungry, aren't you? You're really, really hungry. That shouldn't be. You're hungry. Your hunger must mean that God's not providing for you. You're not asking for something wrong. So take matters into your own hands. Change these stones into bread and satisfy your hunger. How could God require you to go without something like that? And as subtle as that may sound, at its core, it's the call of Satan to prioritize physical over spiritual. What are legitimate physical desires that we have as humans? Well, we do need to eat. We need to sleep. We need relationships and many, many other things. But do our, our lives reflect like Jesus, that we're actually willing to push away from some of the things that are called to us in the physical world so that we can have the best thing, the spiritual reality and depth that Christ offers us? Do our lives reflect that we're holding on to his word, living by it rather than using the resources around us to get what we want right now? How much better is it for us to grow in our spiritual desire for God's word, learning his words following and obeying his words and experiencing the satisfaction of all our needs, both spiritual and physical, for our good Father in heaven does not, when his children ask bread, give them a stone. The issue often is timing, right? First test, temptation, prioritize physical desires over spiritual desires. Secondly, this morning, 
Look at with me in verses 5 and following. Having failed in that first one, the devil then takes him to the holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord to the test. The second temptation is to call Christ away from the mission that was before him to be driven by the word of God. And the second temptation comes and says, Jesus, pursue the miraculous over the mundane. Go for the big stuff. Shortcut the path. Create a following by doing something really significant, like jumping off right here. And by the way, the Bible says in Psalm 91 that his angels will catch you, so it'll be a great gig. Why would you have to spend several years walking around healing people and talking to people and being exhausted and being accused and all these other things and eventually hang on? Get Get what you want right now. Go big. The opportunity to create a spectacle was turned down because Christ knew what God said. To do something so impressive, he could have gained a following for a time, but his path required a cross before a crown. And the spectacle that he was put on display of there actually created a greater throng than anything Satan could have offered him there. Yes, there would be additional humiliation and death before he was exalted. You see, Satan takes the meaning of Psalm 91 and twists it, trying to turn Jesus away from loyalty to God. But Jesus responds with the scripture again, going back to Deuteronomy. By the way, if you have some time this afternoon, Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8, read it. It's a great setting for this, right? He goes back there and says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. And that means you've got to flip your Bible back then to Exodus 17 and go back to there. And what was going on there? And here the people of Israel are thirsty. They want something to, to drink and they question God. Is God really among us? I'm thirsty, so God's not here. The God who had brought them out of Egypt, miraculously brought them through the Red Sea, had provided for all their needs... There's no way that they were alive at that time in Exodus 17 had God not been with them. But their circumstances agreed were very difficult and they responded the way we respond. Where are you, God? God, in order for you to be God, you got to show up big, miraculous. I want to temper that for a second, saying that God delights in doing miracles. But the issue is taking the word of God and testing God, saying, you have to do what I think your word says. The devil was manipulating scripture to try to get Jesus off course. But thank God, when we know the testimony of scripture and it's written on our hearts and the spirit lives within us, he helps us avoid those mistakes. 
We can see the temptation coming. We can see the temptation when God seems distant and far, not coming through, life's not working out, things aren't going as planned, to then go back. But you said this in the Bible, God, where are you? Just a word of caution to all of us. Back back up for a second and remember, you're alive today because of him. He's sustaining you right now. He is the author of your physical and spiritual life. Your circumstances scream absence. His word screams present. It is a call to walk by faith rather than sight. We move now to the third one. Because I don't know how long I can sit on the second one without being more convicted. The third temptation comes to us in verse 8. Turn a page here. After speaking to Satan and telling him not to put the Lord to the test, the devil takes him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus says to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The third temptation comes to us and came to Christ that day and said, Jesus, swap out eternal glory for temporal glory. Have it now, forget about later. Don't put in the hard work now for a wonderful reward later. Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything that I own right here, right now. Since Jesus was already known to, even as a younger person, saying, I must be about my father's business, and while he developed fully as a human being and understood, he had cognizance and awareness of what was coming. He knew a cross lay before him, perhaps didn't know every piece of that. I don't know. I'm not going to get off on that right now. But he knew what was happening. He knew what was going on. And he would have faced a a choice here. Yes, Satan had dominion over the world. And the deal was, worship me and I'll give you the world. And it sounded like a way to get out of the cross. Jesus is tempted to see if he would abandon the eternal plan of God for Satan's temporal plan. Yes, the devil has dominion over the world for a time. And here he tempts Jesus to cash it in. Success, fame, wealth, achievement, all those types of things and many more are not wrong in themselves. In fact, they are enormous challenges to the faithful steward who serves God. Those who are given that responsibility face tremendous challenges to remain faithful to God. But the key in this text here is, is your heart set on achieving temporal glory? Is that what you're about? Perhaps more pointedly or redirecting it is, are you living for now? Are you living for eternity? Are we living right now? Even seizing the day, not a bad idea. 
but at the expense of the future? You see the bouncer? Has our hearts, has your heart turned away from worshiping the one and true God? And in reality, we see that we are worshiping success, pleasure, a relationship, a career, an image, identity, whatever it may be. See, Jesus is committed to worshiping the one true God. He is committed to serving God alone. He again goes to Deuteronomy 6, tying again the story of Israel's history into what's happening here. And where it says in verse 13 of Deuteronomy 6, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you will swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of other people who are around you. To worship anybody but God alone is sin, and Christ would have none of it. So in fact, in spite of the fact that his life on earth would be a lifetime of service, exhaustion, misunderstanding, rejection by even family members, mistreatment to the point of murder by the hands of those he came to save, the suffering servant wouldn't bow to anyone else. He worshiped God alone. So the tests come to us, the temptation comes, And perhaps this is where we could settle in and think today. Hey, where's the focus of your life? Are you primarily physical with no development inwardly of the inner man spiritually? Are you always hoping for a big event from God? Do you have a lottery ticket idea of how God operates? If I just get the lucky numbers, I'll get something from God rather than seeing him in the mundane daily things that he calls us to do and be? Are you seeking and living for what is to come rather than what you're looking at right now? Temptation can be defeated through reliance on God's word. We can face the tests of this And so here's the hope, even during the prayers and what we've read already, is when we turn, when we turn to the Lord, he will receive us. And when we listen and follow the Lord, he can help us through the challenges and the tests, the temptations of life. Yes, temptation can be defeated as we listen and follow God's word. Adam and Eve saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desired to make one wise, and they took of its fruit and ate And they ignored God's word and introduced sin into the world. Jesus now comes to the earth on a mission to restore humanity to the original Garden of Eden relationship God had planned to have with all of us, all mankind. But in order to complete the mission, his faithfulness had to be tested. So while Adam and Eve failed to live by God's word, and Israel failed in the wilderness to live by God's word, Jesus does not fail. So from time to time, as we close out today, there's two things I'd like to have as takeaways. First of all, if the Spirit of God has probed you as you've thought about some of those areas of where you're being tested, and perhaps you're discouraged and defeated and even hopeless, you have to look to Jesus. And so this really, this isn't about so much the testing, although those are the things that kind of get our attention, but look who endured that. Look who walked through that for you and for me. And so sometimes we, we sing here, come behold the wondrous mystery. Yeah, he, the perfect son of man, in his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam. 
come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, God's law, in him we stand. See, see, Christ is that true and better Adam. Where Adam failed, Christ succeeded on how much we need him. And how neat it is in just a few moments when I sit down, we get to sing, I need him. I need you every hour. This is the way to navigate our journey on earth, not in the confidence that we got this. Perhaps the challenges of things going well is that we're located most our time and attention in the physical rather than in the spiritual realm. Meditating more on Christ, I came across this quote in, in a commentary where thinking about our wonderful Savior in this, Gregory of Nazianzus wrote, Christ hungered as a man and fed the hungry as God. He was hungry as a man, and yet he is the bread of life. He was a thirst as a man, and yet he says, let him that is a thirst come to me and drink. He was weary, but he is our rest. He pays tribute, and he is a king. He is called the devil and casts out devils, prays and hears prayers, weeps and dries our tears, is sold for 30 pieces of silver and redeems the world, is led as a sheep to the slaughter and is the good shepherd. This is Jesus who welcomes you today. He says, come to me today. Forsake everything else for me today. Meditate on the Savior and follow the steps of Jesus. Forsake focusing on your physical life to the detriment of your spiritual health. Pursue the average and daily means of God's grace to you rather than fingers crossed, hope, hope across my heart, hope to die, all that kind of stuff, that somehow God's just going to snap his fingers for me and everything's going to go away. Commit your life to the word of God and watch him grow and change and weed and strengthen and whatever needs to happen so you're fashioned in his image. Seek to live for the eternal, not the temporal. Christian, are you frustrated and fearful regarding your spiritual life? Are you weary today and ready to give up? Consider Jesus and follow his steps today. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weaknesses and my weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Father, we thank you that while no text uh, can completely be explained and we considered your full humanity on display being tempted today, that is what gives us hope that you walked where we walked you face that debilitating hang-up, that sinful pattern, that hopeless feeling, whatever it is, in every point like we did. But somehow you figured out a way to 
please Jesus, please God. And the text tells us you did that by being saturated in God's words. Father, help us to take time today to consider what are we saturated with? And help us, Lord, during this season of Lent to fashion our lives increasingly more like the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.